Hey everybody, welcome to Bibliified Adventures, episode 7. This week we have Michael from Germany joining us to share his second part of a multi-part series he's doing on Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition Player's Handbook, in addition to many more things he's got planned. Uh, just a heads up, we've got some people doing some work on a on some Lovecraft stories that they're going to be sharing about. Um, there'll be some upcoming episodes we'll have is Neil Stevens' Seven Eves. There'll be an episode on Tim O'Brien's Things They Carried. Then there'll also be a look at The Chronicles of Pridane by Lloyd Alexander. And plus much, much more. Just a reminder, this is a community-sourced podcast. It's not just me doing it. I've been fortunate to have some people that have been very helpful and and taking over and sharing uh, episodes about things they love. So it's like a, from Hemingway to Harry Potter, from uh, Lord of the Rings to Lord of the Flies. I mean, anything, cookbooks and atlases and just anything. is about sharing experience about things that you enjoy and love and why it matters to you. Pick a genre, pick an author, pick a, pick a one book in particular that made you interested. If you're a writer, why, what, is there a book that, or an author that made a significant influence on you and got you into wanting to be a writer? So yeah, just, um, you can reach out on Twitter at Biblified Adventures. You can find us there. You can find us at, uh, and send an email to 143podcast at gmail.com if you're interested in participating. Uh, but enough of that. Let's, uh, what we're here for is to listen to Michael talk about Dungeons and Dragons, and it's a great episode, and I'm looking forward to more from him. Thanks, Michael. Welcome, adventurers, to the Bibliophile Adventures. Here I am, Michael from Germany, also known as Sauce the Rope on Twitter, and I really would encourage you to follow me on Twitter, uh, hit me up in the next uh, hours, minutes, seconds, uh, because I'm going to talk to you today on this episode uh, about a little game that is known to most people who have heard of it as Dungeons and & Dragons, and this will be the second episode of the Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition Player's Handbook walkthrough. But at the moment on Twitter, I am also playing, I am also running a game of Dungeons and Dragons via Twitter. Uh, yes, DD by tweet. Hashtag DD by tweet. Um, as far as I know, I'm the only person running a DD game actually on Twitter live at this moment. And if you go and find me, you will see it in progress, or you might not if you just picked the wrong time or you missed the long threads. Anyway, if you know how Twitter works, you will find it. Um, please check it out. So, last time we discussed uh, one of my favorite parts of the new edition of Dungeons & Dragons, which is actually the list of fun books to read. There are many reasons why I love this part of the player's handbook. Um, one fun fact is that this list of fun and awesome books to read, sometimes a little bit scary and weird books to read, uh, Call of Cthulhu, uh, for example, all the Lovecraft stuff, I really hope nobody from Nerdy Legion wants to cover that because it's really scary. Uh, <laughs> um, 
one of the reasons I just I find it really weird is because it used to be in the Dungeon Master's Guide. In Dungeons and Dragons, you've got players and you've got Dungeon Masters, DMs for short. And I guess at the earliest stages of the game, as such, there was no need for a player's handbook. The players had to just turn up and take what they were given. That's kind of how it is on my Twitter game right now. Uh, I'm literally just feeding them stuff, uh, crazy stories, and they're telling me how they're interacting with the story uh, via tweets, which sounds crazy, and it is crazy. And so in those early days, only the dungeon master actually had the rulebook, had any idea what was going on, had any clue as to what was coming, and you had to constantly interact with this person in front of you. And depending on who you got, you might get a very different game. And so this list of cool books was really fun for the Dungeon Master to think of mean or weird or exciting things to do with or to their players. Um, I think it's good that they put this back or they put it for the first time, maybe. I'm not sure. Into the player's handbook because now it's more about inspiration as to what kind of cool stuff you would like your character to do, and maybe even what kind of world that your character lives in. When I say your character, I mean this alternative you that is being fictionalized in real time as you play this game. Sorry, it's another first for this, um, for my part of this podcast because I don't have any whiskey tonight. Uh, I ran out of the good as red. I've got this strange German stuff called Jägermeister. Um, it's a bit mixed up with fruit juice and stuff like that. And also maybe some cranberry jelly, which I found in the fridge. Uh, but it tastes okay. So on this episode, I wanted to cover the first, let me say, four. Yeah, let's call it the first four chapters of the player's handbook. And that's about 100 pages, so... Buckle up, buttercup. Um, We are going to take a deep dive into what it means to create your Dungeons & Dragons character. Now, I was watching an absolutely awesome movie um, last week. It is called The Secrets of Blackmore. You can find that uh, producer, I guess, or somebody who was involved in that movie. Also on Twitter, under Secrets of Blackmore, pretty obviously. Or you can go to secretsofblackmore.com. I rented the movie. Uh, It cost me five bucks and it was well worth it because it is a brilliant movie. It is so much fun. Uh, You would not believe how much entertainment you get from watching a nice group of interesting old guys sitting around talking about the cool storytelling and gaming experiences they had when they were... Teenagers, I guess some of them, teenagers or uh, yeah, it was a mixed, it was a mixed bunch. Um, not all men either. It was some ladies there uh, right from the start, and um, it's just a fascinating account of what happened before D and D was a thing. So, um, I guess the cool thing is the interesting thing is a kid called Dave Arneson 
he was still pretty young when all of this started out. He was into wargaming, which means that you push little toy soldiers around on a table. And originally this was a game made up for real soldiers to learn tactics. Uh, you push your soldiers around, you try to simulate um, somewhat visually. You had a sand table, it's literally a big box of sand. It's a sandbox on your table. Um, and you can make little hills and valleys and terrain out of the sand. And you can move your armies around on there. It sounds crazy, and it is. Um, you measure the distances off in inches. And you say, okay, one inch is a mile. So I'm going to move my troops a whole mile. Off we go. And um, interestingly, right from the beginning, they had this concept of a referee. And the referee is going to kind of keep in mind the scenario and all of the different factors that are happening in this historical reenactment. Okay, this is this sounds pretty crazy, and it is very crazy. Um, and you'd have two or three people playing different armies and factions. And obviously, um, kids got into this. H.G. Uh, Wells, a science fiction author, he was very much into this as well. So also big kids um, who never quite grew up in some ways were into this. H.G. Wells wrote a book called Little Armies. And you can find rules for gaming with toy soldiers there. Um, Dave Arneson got into this stuff very early and he met up with some older fellows and they started wargaming regularly. And very soon... Um, this kid, Dave, he became kind of like um, the leader of this group. Even, um, you know, as he got older, he was uh, he was an adult and he slowly kind of took over leadership of this group. And some of the ideas that some other people in this group, um, especially one other person had been playing with to create these kind of tactical games, he took them on board, but he went this extra step and he just basically said, what if you could just create, recreate everything in your head? So not just focusing on this aspect or that aspect of what might happen in a tactical situation. But what if you really could change just anything? You can change out anything you like. This was always a concept from the beginning of wargaming. Because like, obviously anything could happen, right? There could be a freak storm. Um... In the history of England, where I'm from, there's a legend uh, to do with the Reformation in that country. At the time, they were being attacked by the Catholics from the continent. And there was this Catholic wind that was coming to bring the Catholic fleets there. And they uh, they prayed. Everybody prayed, actually. <laughs> so it doesn't make much sense. Um, the Catholics prayed. The Protestants prayed. And eventually the wind turned against the Catholics. And we got our Protestant England. So there you go. Um, but anything could happen, right? A, a freak um, storm or a crazy idea that just suddenly works. And there's this famous story of Dave Arneson uh, playing this tactical game where it seemed like he just went off the rails and he would never achieve any of his objectives that were written on a little card for him to follow. And at the last minute, he came out with this stroke of genius Um I'm going to leave you to watch the movie Secrets of Blackmore. Check it out um, to find out what that was because it's so much fun. It's so it's so clever. It's so funny. 
um, and they did it in such a nice way. So um, one thing that they said in that movie is that D&D and all of these games, they, they didn't have a name for this game in the beginning. They called it Brownstein. That was the name of the castle in the famous um, scenario. So it was always a story game, right? It was named after this story. It was only after they tried to publish it that they had to come up with a catchy name. And basically from then on, it was all about codifying things for people who just had no idea what wargaming is, what tactical games are, um, and what role-playing is. And people are still wondering what, what the heck is this role-playing thing. It's basically storytelling, but with a twist. Um, they had to just market it. So Gary Gygax and those guys uh, did a cool job of marketing this stuff and creating easy rules that you could follow. One of the things that they say in this movie, though, is that D&D is a character-driven game. What does that mean? Well, the idea is that you are playing a character and this character has got some rules associated with them, right? So like any kind of human character, you're going to think, well, it's kind of a rule that if I want to get around, I'm going to have to walk or I'm going to have to um, ride a horse. Or maybe I can find some big guy to carry me, right? Or some servants if I'm lucky. That's kind of a rule of being a human. Um, and maybe I've got some statistics as well. Like I'm a strong runner. So maybe I can go a bit faster. So I'm going to say every turn I can move a little bit further than the other guys. If I'm being chased or if I'm chasing someone, maybe I can win a race. And to make things a little bit more fun and chancy, I'm going to roll a dice. Um, but if I'm a strong runner, maybe I'm going to add a static number to that dice. So if I've got a dice roll, it's an average. And this comes straight out of wargaming. It's a statistical thing. Um, if I've got 20 troops on the ground and I want to attack your 100 troops, the odds are 1 to 5, right? 5 against 1. But if I roll my dice... And let's just say that those guys are lucky that day. Maybe I roll 26s. This is not going to happen, but it's possible. Um, and you roll uh, 101s. And then I have to invent some kind of story reason why that happened. Yeah, it's pretty hard. <laughs> it's pretty unlikely. So it's more um, convincing if I can add a number. Maybe my troops are especially well armed. we got superior weapons. So when I roll those 20 dice... I'm going to add 5 to all of them. So if I roll a 1, I get a 6. And if I uh, roll a 6, I'm going to get uh, 11. So basically, I'm always rolling a nice high number. And you can roll with even your 100 troops. You can get up between 1 and 6. So your average is 3. My average is going to be 8. So probably I'm going to I'm gonna win that combat. Yeah, but that, there could still be a little bit of give or take. Um... This is how these tactical sims work, actually. And even, I guess, today with uh, computer games, video games, still works in a pretty similar way. You might be thinking, isn't it a bit kind of boring with statistics and things? Well, yeah, I'd, I'd give you that. Um, I'm not a massive fan of uh, maths for maths sake. Uh, statistics, yeah, it's a fun thing to play with. Um, 
And there is a very basic weirdness about D&D because when you play a war game, you have um, maybe a hundred troops, a thousand troops, right? And you're moving around a bunch of people and you just care about the averages. It makes sense to roll a dice there. It really does. Um, if you're talking about one character, to be honest, it doesn't really make any sense in the world to roll a dice. And I think that is what... Um, that is the challenge of Dungeons and Dragons and all of these games. You have to think yourself into another person's mental space. Whether that's your character in this shared world or um, the other players. You have to be thinking about, hey, what do these guys expect to happen? Or what's the dungeon master really imagining here? So, over time, and I guess pretty quickly... Um, gaming developed a way of making these characters so that you have something easy to fall back on, right? So humans, we're bipedal, you have two legs. Um, but what if you had a character that had wings? Fantastic. So now I can fly suddenly. I can do a bunch of other stuff that I couldn't do. And hey, what if I could throw magic spells around? What if I could uh, create a lightning bolt or something? Or what if I was a great fighter who can kind of pick themselves up from the floor uh, no matter what? Couldn't we say that there's um, a special rule for that guy? And so over time, or actually really quickly, um, these things were codified. So I thought it would be fun to just take you through the way that we do this in D&D. Um, and maybe kind of give some of my personal... Uh, responses to that too. So here we go, get the Jägermeister ready. Excellent. So the way the book lays it out is that you've got to pick a race. Now, races in D&D are very, very simply based on the Lord of the Rings. In that game, uh, sorry, in that book, you've got... Um, You've got these little hobbits. They are the halflings. They are these little people living in their own world. And really in Tolkien, that represents me and you, right? We are ordinary guys, uh, working nine to five, or if we're lucky, kind of, you know, maybe like once, once a week, <laughs> taking care of things, having our own little world. And someone comes knocking at the door and says, hey, let's go on an adventure. Um, and what do you do? That, in essence, is, uh, you could say it's the world's first game of D&D. Um, the legends and the myths of the European peoples, anyway, uh, and maybe others too, of course, um, tended to create this idea of races of people. Now, we're not talking about um, the fake science of racism, which sucks. We're talking about mythological races. We're talking about weird um, little people, fairies and elves and little uh, gnomes that live um, in holes in the ground. In the old myths, in the oldest uh, stuff that people wrote down, this is really weird um, stuff. It's not at all cute. It is scary. Um, you have the Scandinavian legends of the dead, 
who just don't want to stay dead. Maybe they've got old business to settle. And uh, maybe you can do some magic by calling on those guys to help you uh, to achieve your ends. And maybe they're going to exact a price from you. So it is scary stuff. You've got the elves who live in the forest. And uh, maybe they're based on real people, right? But if they're out there living outside of civilization, then they are scary people. And you don't necessarily want to meet them. And if you're somebody that uh, has dealings with these strange people, you know, maybe there's something a bit weird about you. So you can see how these legends and myths grew up pretty easily over the centuries, millennia. And Tolkien, and then very rapidly, all the other fantasy guys, I mean, even before Tolkien, of course, they drew on all this stuff. Um, and I'd call it almost like a psychological need. You know, people need this. Um, way of making sense of the world because we can't learn everything we can't keep everything in our heads and it's also very emotional so what uh, what games do is you can you can pick this very stereotypical race and in the early games there wasn't a concept really of race it was more like a stereotype it was more like an archetype so you had this dwarf he's you know a stocky guy um, he's tough, he's blunt, uh, he's good with an axe, uh, you've got the elf, she's a bit faster on her feet, she can think quickly, she's eloquent, um, but maybe a little bit haughty, maybe a little bit proud, maybe magical as well, in a different way to the dwarves, she doesn't make things maybe, but she kind of enchants things and people. And then you had, of course, humans, and the difficulty was, yeah, people, real people can do all kinds of stuff and have any specialty. So gradually, um, race and class separated out as two different things, and it still doesn't make a whole bunch of sense, but it makes for a fun game. So in the new book, in the current book, we can call it 5th edition, you pick things like your ability score increase and these are the statistics that we're talking about nowadays you've got things like uh, your strength uh, which I hope you can understand if you're tough or not um, but also you've got your constitution which is more like um, more of a passive thing so like if I drink um, three pints of ale am I going to fall down or am I just going to wipe my mouth and say hey bring it on bring me three more so that's more like your constitution. Um, you've got your dexterity, which is like your skill, um, your concentration. But you've also got your wisdom, uh, which is more like your ability to just open those senses wide and spot things coming um, and read people. You've also got your intelligence, which is more like your focused. You can see how these things kind of blend into each other, right? Because originally they're based on um, tactical games where you have a hundred troops. Um, and if they're super intelligent, okay, so maybe they're good at following orders. And if they're not that intelligent, maybe they just follow them blindly. You're not allowed to change the orders halfway. You just have to keep them marching on even if it's, it's going to be a disaster if they're marching into a trap. Right? Stuff like that. Um, 
so carried carried over to a single play, player character doesn't make a whole bunch of sense. Uh, but there you go. And then you've got the charisma attribute as well, which is like how forceful your personality is. It's more active. So if you want to persuade somebody, um, or if you want to be flamboyant and impress the crowd, right? So each... Um, each race in Dungeons and Dragons, it's it's not a race really. Um, it doesn't make a whole bunch of sense. But they're fantasy races. They're stereotypes, right? So you've got elves, you've got dwarves, you have halflings, um, you have humans. I guess the idea is that if you play a human, it doesn't take a bunch of thinking really. <laughs> you don't have to add much of a story. You have Dragonborn, which is really interesting. That's that's made up for Dungeons and Dragons, as far as I know. That's like a half. Well, it's like a humanoid, a humanoid dragon or a dragonoid human. Uh, you can breathe fire and do all kinds of cool stuff, but basically you're a humanoid that looks funny, like a lizard. Um, I guess in D and D, everyone looks a bit funny, which is which is good. Uh, you got gnomes. Yeah, they're just like smaller than halflings. I don't know what's the idea there. You have half elves and half orcs. This seems to come from uh, Tolkien as well, and um, yeah, it, as, as part of the game, it doesn't make a, a whole bunch of sense either. As a story element, it could make a lot of sense, and I think that's where you want to start with your character. If you're, if you're playing D&D, you want to think of a cool story for your character. And to make this a bit more fun, instead of just looking in the book, I'm going to use a random character generator to actually make a character for you. Okay? So, um, this is random. I have no idea what I'm going to get. Yes, I'm going to click on random. I'm using dndbeyond.com. That's D-N-D, the letter N. Um, I'm going to make a fairly tough character. I'm going to make level 5. Should we choose a race? Uh, no, let's leave it random. Uh, let's turn on all the options, feats, multi-class, give it a name. No, let's wait for the name. So, here we go. Create character. So that's DND Beyond. That is the official Dungeons & Dragons uh, toolkit, but there are others. Because you you can't really copyright a game as such. It's just uh, it's just the trademark. Okay, where's my character? Let me see here. View character sheet. I think I've got a character called Telan Tenpenny. I think it's a halfling. Yes. So all of the kind of quaint um, English-sounding names, British-sounding names, that will be the halflings. Um, again, the halflings are real people, basically, from the real world. <laughs> um, so Telan is a light foot halfling. There's options uh, even within the basic races. There's kind of like, um, they have different cultures or different uh, places they come from where they have different uh, strengths. Mine is a light foot, so he's, um, he's more skillful maybe. Uh, let me see, I can actually look this stuff up. Hey, I have the book here. So, gnomes, halflings. So, the random generator has awfully, has awfully, yeah, awful. What the heck is this? It's bizarrely given me warlock, monk, ranger. 
So this is a multi-class halfling. Um, he's been around. He's tried a few things. He has a career. You know, he has a CV. He has a resume. Or she does, maybe. I like she, yeah. Talan Tenpenny. Um, that is a lightfoot halfling, which means... What does it mean? Yeah, I'm good at hiding. Um, friendly. A traveler, maybe. So... Kind of fits in with this multi-class of the ranger. I've got ranger uh, levels. So levels are just how much uh, training you've had or like school of hard knocks uh, experience. So that means um, I'm a bit of a ranger. I'm a wanderer, a traveler, an explorer, if you will. Uh, familiar with nature. A warlock means that I can do magic, but not just any kind of magic. It's... Um, Potentially kind of evil magic, right? Like I have this warlock patron that gives me the spells, and that patron might be good or bad, or maybe uh, maybe neither, maybe just neutral. Um, so this halfling is a pretty is a pretty weird person. It's certainly not really someone from Tolkien per se. I have advantage against being frightened. Um, so I'm very brave. That's another halfling trait straight out of the Lord of the Rings. Have these magic spells. That's the cool part. Let me look at those. So spell casting. Does it say where my patron, who is my patron, is giving me this magic, eh? I got a feeling it's someone evil. Because look, I got these, I got these warlock spells, okay? They're pretty evil stuff. I got hellish rebuke. That sounds bad, right? I'm going to do something pretty evil to you. Um, I have command, that sounds, um, if not immoral, at least dominating. So I'm, I'm into dominating people if I can. And I have some ranger spells, which are more like nature spells, beast bond. I can make friends with animals, maybe dangerous animals, that's cool. Um, absorb elements, I can soak up damage. Uh, frostbite, I can cause some cold damage to somebody. I can do illusions. I'm a badass, basically. This is great. So uh, let me look at the statistics here. I've got a bad uh, wisdom score. Oh, wait, I have a, I have a two in wisdom. What's what's going on here? Um, not sure about some of these statistics here. So I have a poor strength. Okay, I'm a small guy. Uh, a low dexterity. A zero dexterity modifier. So that's kind of average. A little weird for a halfling, but I like this random stuff because it means you're going to be more interesting. You know, maybe I'm clumsy, a little clumsy. Constitution is minus three modifier, so I'm, yeah, I can get hurt easily. My intelligence, my wisdom are very low, so I'm not the cleverest uh, penny, not the shiniest penny in the bag. Um, but I have a high charisma, which fits with a warlock. So... Um, I love this character already. It's unbalanced. It's not optimized at all. It could make for some cool stories. Um, I have a low armor class, so it's easy to attack me. Um, what do I have some cool skills in? Strangely, I have deception. I have intimidation. Uh, very strong in those skills. Very strong in persuasion. So this character is kind of a... a basically a mean little a mean little jerk <laughs> uh, 
Um, I'm gonna spend my game uh, probably like hiding in the shadows a little bit, trying to talk my way out of problems or like bully people around. And if they don't do what I want, I'm gonna hurt them with some magic. Um, I also have weapons because I got some levels in monk. That is weird. Okay, um, but I I can uh, I can do some cool martial arts, I guess. Uh, which again kind of fits the character, right? I can. I can kind of BS my way um, into this making sense because um, I, you know, I'm kind of streetwise, not in a clever way, but just tough, generally tough in a in a corner. I'm a ranger, so maybe I fought with animals. Um, a pretty pretty scrappy little person here. She's a pretty scrappy little girl here. Um, and it's randomly chosen me a background noble. That's pretty ridiculous too. So maybe I come um, from a tribe of feral halflings. Okay, um, we live out in the woods, or maybe in the hills, or something. Yeah, I'm not gonna say the woods because uh, of the beasts. Um, and among the nobility of that tribe, yeah, I can hold my own, right? So, um, and maybe I even have. This tribe maybe even has got some shady dealings with some other um, factions in this weird fantasy world where actually we got some respect and I can get an audience with a local noble, it says here. So I can kind of talk my way into the top circles of society, even if I can't um, be a star in battle or some doing some weird magic much. What I can do is I can uh, manipulate, I can wheel and deal. That's going to be my tactics in this game. Yeah, so that was a fun, that was a fun character to make. Um, should we make another one? I'll say just before we get to that, let me look at a cool part of the book which we haven't dug into yet. So in every character you've got You've got a set of features which are basically like superpowers, effectively. Yeah, Dungeons and Dragons is basically a superheroes game. In various editions of this game, you've had more or less of these uh, powers, I guess you can call them. Uh, so, hitting people with a sword, really good. That's a power. Um, but also calling down um, a storm of hail would be another power, kind of a magic power, and. The way that these are dealt with in the game uh, varies between just like make something up or roll a certain amount of dice and according to the dice roll that's what happens. Or anything in between actually with a bunch of other um, pretty complicated effects in the end. But the interesting thing about these features is that they build with uh, experience. So as you're going through the game and you're kind of um, discovering things, or you're stealing some treasure, or you're, hey, even running a legitimate business, you're getting experience all the time, and you gain these features. Anybody who's played, like, at least one video game probably knows what this is about. You, you level up, you get more stuff you can do. Um, and that's really, a, that's kind of a game thing. Um, but it's also a simulation thing, I guess. 
because um, you know you in life you rise to a challenge okay um, but what I really wanted to talk about and what the cool thing is I mean these character um, powers or traits or whatever they're cool okay but what I really love about the new D&D edition is the story traits so again they split this stuff out um, of the characters per se so you can pick this stuff um, and you can choose like a second career for your character that gives you a few extra um, skills abilities powers and stuff so my randomly created um, little lady tenpenny there she has that noble background other backgrounds might be an artisan so you make things uh, you probably have money. Uh, you could be an entertainer, so you probably have less money, um, but you can pull off uh, cool performances and stunts and things. You could be a straightforward soldier, okay? Um, you could be a sage. You could be a kind of like a wild person who comes from out there. So again, these are kind of archety archetypes, stereotypes, but they are definitely tied to your story, like your personal history. And this, uh, this part of the character generation allows you to come up with a whole backstory with just like a couple of uh, simple decisions. Um, and if you're playing with other people, of course, you could pick the backstories that fit together. So you could pick a bunch of soldiers and just looking at the table here, you've got like your officer, okay, probably need that. Maybe a couple of scouts. Maybe you want to have a healer who's like a medic. Um, a quartermaster who carries all the stuff and always has the right kind of tools and gear. Maybe you even have uh, support staff. So you have like a cook or something who has these, uh, turns out to be a monk at the last minute and starts doing kung fu. Or you might have the standard bearer um, and that guy is apparently just some guy with a big flag until the flag turns out to be like a magic symbol and they start like casting spells with the flag or something so you can use these backgrounds um, basically to put together a whole adventure a whole story without too much effort um, but I guess a whole I know a whole bunch of thinking and the, the dungeon master is encouraged in this game, by the way, to reward this kind of stuff. You get inspiration if you do some cool role-playing. Um, and inspiration basically lets you re-roll the big dice, the 20-sided the dice, which is used for basically everything. And because that dice can swing from 1 to 20, you have a very high chance of uh, something crazy happening, something totally random. So if you get to re-roll it and take the highest one, that's what inspiration means in this game. Hey, you've 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 kind of beaten the odds. So you've you've uh, yeah you've outclassed everyone else. So there is how character creation. You you can't go away with this podcast and make a character, right? But I hope I've inspired you to do it. Um, another cool website to look at is fastcharacter.com. Let me try that one, if it can load quickly. Yeah, there we go. Okay, I'm going to randomize everything. Let me try this. I left everything blank. I don't know what's going to happen. 
This could be a total disaster. This character is a half-elf bard, so imagine those pointy ears, the shining hair, maybe curly hair, um, some kind of musical instrument, maybe. Um, his name is Ryland Rumoraz. Maybe I'm going to share these amazing characters I made somehow by Twitter or uh, get a link in the show notes. So this guy is um, 16th level, so he's amazingly cool, amazingly clever. Um, no, his intelligence is low again, his uh, wisdom is low, his charisma is crazy high, and his dex is pretty high. So he's kind of a trickster maybe. Um, he's got um, a ton of cool, amazing spells he can cast. Uh, particularly around uh, learning information and uh, convincing people to do what he wants. Let me see what else. The usual kind of vicious mockery and um, a little rapier and everything like this. The favor of an admirer. Yes, very good. So there's right there is a whole story. Uh, maybe this is a kind of tragic guy because it's um, super clever and uh, college of law so learns a lot knows a lot but never really got that love that he's looking for his alignment is chaotic neutral that says I follow my shifting whims with little concern about rules or later consequence you know he's a kind of cynical guy he's uh, given up on his ideals and he's just following that uh, magical lore that he's discovering through his music or his uh, chanting <laughs> uh, stuff like this right right so in a future um, episode on the same book I might hit on some ways to create some cool stories with these characters maybe um, while I was looking at my huge collection of um, sci-fi and fantasy books to dig out the books for this episode I noticed a couple of books that um, my therapist recommended back in the day so I went through a bit of depression and um, at the time it was important to me to uh, look at how I relate to people and um, dealing with self-confidence, stuff like that. And this counselor recommended to me a great book called I'm Okay, You're Okay uh, by Eric Byrne. And um, probably you heard of this book. It's really um, entered into popular culture. It's really cheesy, I guess, in many ways. Um, it's been uh, parodied in uh, South Park, I think, <laughs> and basically everything. And um, people think it's hippy-dippy nonsense. Uh, but actually, it's kind of scary in that it's very mathematical. You analyze your uh, relationships with people in a very kind of reductive way. And uh, you decide where you stand vis-a-vis uh, -vis somebody. Do you think that you're okay and they're okay? So you're getting along? Do you think that you're okay, but I'm not okay. So you're basically going <laughs> to 
you're basically going to treat me like dirt and walk all over me or um, are you not okay but I'm okay so you're going to look up to me um, and kind of do anything I tell you <laughs> I kind of beg you know and wheedle your way around or even kind of manipulate whatever so these are kind of um, you can see the tie-in with uh, tactical games because there's a lot of tactics involved here um, that's not the point of the the therapy by the way you're not meant to kind of manipulate people and uh, play life like a game it's meant to be just like trying to deal with people in a straightforward way and get around those games maybe that you tend to play or I tend to play maybe without thinking so much about what we do and what we say in life um, and there's another book by the same guy uh, called Games People Play and it even um, that's by Eric Byrne so that's kind of like analyzing what happens when two or three people get together um, and the kind of things that can go well or badly with those relationships um, and another one I got I think I went a bit crazy on this idea because uh, I also got this one by uh, Claude Steiner which is scripts people live it's going like another level so if this is D&D, it's like, here's a campaign book for you. Let's go through the whole life of this adventure and see what kind of script you're going to have. Like, are you always going from tragedy to tragedy, but you're learning from that? Or are you kind of like, um, I don't know, what are you? Are you like building up a team of adventurers around you and that's your kind of life uh, goal and way of living? Or are you super random, super chaotic? Um, these things these things can be useful ways of, of looking at life, you know, and looking at relationships. Um, and that's right there in the game from day one. It's been in there with this alignment thing. Um, I guess you have factions um, in war games and it came out of that. Uh, you had to pick a side. And once it was about individuals and not just armies not just organizations rather because it's not always uh, a violent conflict in these games it could be espionage or something um, anyway so if it's not about organizations what is it about it's about the way you look at life your philosophy uh, your habits of acting you know so that uh, that can be a bit abstract I think um, that can be a bit hard to understand but um, these like psychological um, books really helped me at a certain time um, to get over some problems or rather to kind of like deal with the problems in a more constructive way and I hope that um, maybe some people are inspired to look at these kind of old school games again and maybe discover some value for yourself in there too um, I know they've helped me uh, to let go of some stress and uh, and yeah and deal with uh, deal with life in in different ways more flexible ways maybe and maybe they will you too okay so I'm going to leave it there for tonight uh, I've been Michael from Germany that's Sosterope on Twitter and I look forward to hearing some of your comments if you want to get in touch 